0: So our passage today is going to be probably pretty familiar to many of us, and if you were here last week, a reminder that we were out of order last week, we told the next part, but today's story is the Magi showing up. Um, So I invite us to listen for the word of God speaking to us this day from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This one is not anticipatory so you can continue eating. <laughs> Another just friendly reminder, if you want to get up, please get more food. Um, also, I relish the sounds of children in worship. There's so many congregations that don't have it. So parents, if you are feeling fretful that your young ones are moving around, don't be. Because we love that, and we embrace it, and we celebrate it. So, Let's listen for the God's Word speaking to us this day. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened in all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, King Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd, my people Israel. until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they, saw the star, the, when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Then they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. So I went to seminary in Decatur, Georgia, at Columbia Theological Seminary, and in my midler year, my second year of seminary, I was actually hired and had my call already arranged. Um, which was a very nice benefit, um, right in Decatur, Georgia, at a wonderful church called North Decatur. It was a warm, receptive, and I started in youth ministry and then took over all of the Christian education department and then became the associate pastor for youth and Christian education. It was a wonderful call, wonderful people, and the most dedicated church school teachers that I had, have ever experienced in my entire life because they were all children of preachers, they were all somehow associated with the uh, seminary, it was kind of intense. Uh, also, the children knew their stories, and there were also a lot of science-loving young people, and so the teachers were always there ready to ask their questions, and this story always perplexed them, because nothing really goes the way it should. I mean, a star doesn't do that, (laughs) right? Like, a star doesn't just appear and then track across the sky and then stop in a place. Like, the the skies just don't act that way. So there are always questions with youth and children about uh, how the universe works and how God works in the midst of it and how this story works in that. So the questions I would get is, did this story really happen? Were there only three magi? Did they really follow a star? I mean, they don't work that way. How could a star act like that? And again and again and again, do I really believe it happened this way? Is it true? It's funny, because my friends in other denominations... Don't really get these questions, but good Presbyterian <laughs> youth and children they love the questions, and I love that. That's what drew me to the church myself. Is we're not a denomination that shies away from questions and the complexity of the biblical narrative. And we're not people who deny science and the way it works. And so they are natural questions that come from children and youth who are wondering. What the interaction is so my church school teachers really wanted to be prepared so at times in the discussion what i realized is i think we get the details of the story all confused because of the hymns we sing and the kind of culture that hasn't adapted and been created around the biblical narrative that we don't often listen to what is in the story. Our, our pageants show us wonderful scenes of shepherds coming and then going, or some usually staying, and then the magi come, the wise men come, three of them, right? How many pageants do you do? Are there three wise men? We just sang a hymn, We Three Kings of Orient are, right? But, like, the narrative tells us that there were three. Isaiah quick to point out the camels are going to cover us (laughs) more than three if you read matthew it does not limit the tradition that we have created of gold frankincense and myrrh has just made it easy for us to think there were three three wise men three kings from afar coming it's not what the story says How many pageants have you seen where there are actual names for the wise men? Melchior, Casper, Balthasar, right? They are the names that are widely accepted for these three foreign dignitaries who went searching for the news of the new ruler of Israel. Where do the names come from? History tells us that for a long time, a lot of different names were used for the three wise men. And then, early Roman times, they kind of settled on Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. I can't tell you where the names came from. In the end, for me, it's not what's really important. And that's where the biblical narrative invites us in. And it can be confusing for us. To some parts in the Bible, as you read it, you can find historical accounts that things actually happened. Right? In other parts, it's literature and it's meant to inspire and invite us into a conversation with God and how God is acting in the world. So, the text tells us that wise men came from the east bearing three gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Through the years, we've interpreted that to mean that there were three travelers. We also tend to think that they arrived when the baby was in the manger, but the text tells us that Mary was in a house. Chances are it took them a while to get there from all over the world. Chances are they found toddler Jesus with Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine toddler Jesus? I just can't. (laughs) the truth of the matter is we do not know who these wise men were we don't know where they were from or how many of them actually showed up we do not know how long it took them to get to Bethlehem how old Jesus was at the time he got there we do not know the true facts we were not there But that does not mean that the story isn't true. It doesn't mean that the story doesn't contain a layer of truth that inspires us to experience God in new ways and the importance of this moment in the life of Jesus and their family. The story has power not because it gives us the best facts of the situation, the best account of Jesus' birth, but because it says something about Jesus. It says something about God's plan for our life, about God's plan for Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. And by doing so, it says something powerful about us. In the Gospel of Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, the three wise wise—well, sorry, I just did it myself, the wise men, the camels covered us, these outsiders are the very first ones to recognize the Christ child. In Matthew's gospel, it is not the Jewish shepherds who are tending their sheep. It wasn't the Jewish inhabitants of Bethlehem. It was a group of strange travelers from strange lands who were inspired to follow the movement of the stars in the heavens. God's star, God's beacon, God's light. To the place that announced the birth of God's love in the world. These strange, different people. The first to proclaim, the King of the Jews has returned. The King of the Jews has been born. The Savior of all has come into the world. The author of the Gospel of Matthew is considered to be the most... Jewish of all the gospel writers. How can we know this? Well, this is because his writings reflect an uncanny familiarity with the Hebrew scriptures and the customs of the synagogue. Even in today's passage, it's harkening back to uh, other prophecies that we have seen. It is believed that Matthew's primary audience was other Jews who would appreciate his many references to the prophecies of the Messiah. So Matthew, the most Jewish author in the New Testament, begins his gospel to other Jews with a story about those who recognize Christ first. The most Jewish author helps us to see that those who recognize Christ first are not the Jews of Bethlehem but these strange, foreign, pagan outsiders who come to pay homage. They were the first ones to bring gifts and worship Jesus. In doing so, Matthew says from the beginning that this baby, this Messiah, this gift from God is not only for the Jews, but for the whole world. From the very beginning, Matthew, the most Jewish writer of them all, says to his fellow Jews, Jesus is not only for this group, but for this group. For all people. Everywhere. He wasn't only for those who knew the prophecies of old. He wasn't only for those who were considered acceptable. He was for all people. Everywhere. Even us. With all of our bumps and warts and False. Jesus is even for us. We don't know everything about the story. We can't pin down all of the facts, and I'm not even going to attempt to explain how the star moved in that way, other than to say that the light of God's love moves people to come and to pay homage, centered them around the moment in history. When God broke into the world in a brand new way to shake things up. There is so much in this story that we just can't ignore it. There is something so foreign and yet so familiar about it. And here it is We are a people on a journey, we are the wise men, we are the ones who feel like awkward outsiders who don't feel like they're always getting it right, who are looking for acceptance and community. We are those who are yearning to pay homage. We are on a journey seeking to recognize God's love, active and present in the world. Would you agree? So I invite us now, in our family worship, to be a little more participatory and to engage together in our tables in some guided questions and i know that y'all are like it's already 11 we want to get out <laughs> i want to have done that, but we're here so i invite us to engage together in some conversation around the gift so i guess my first question is this with your folks at your table what was the most meaningful gift that you have given this is a break in the ice kind of question what's the most meaningful gift that you've either given or received i'll give you a few minutes to a minute to think about it and then a few minutes to share with your, those at your table what's the most meaningful gift that you've either given or received go All right. Thank you all so much. Five seconds more. <laughs> all right. So the next question will kind of be related, if it could be related we'll
1: see but as we think about the
0: gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh that were offered to Mary and Joseph and the Christ child, I even set my timer Steve <laughs> um, we're going to kind of I framed some questions on each gift so gold, in those times, and really today uh, in the times of the wise men, gold was a symbol of earthly kingship not everyone had gold Regular folks are walking around with gold jewelry. The gold was really focused in the line of the kings. So a thing to be highly treasured. So my question for all of you to share at your tables is, what is the thing that you most treasure in the world? What is the thing that you most treasure in the world? And think of thing as, you know, it doesn't have to be a thing, but it could be a person or a Whatever. We're not at what is it that you most treasure in the world? Let me say it that way. What is it that you most treasure in the world? Go. Okay. So the things you most treasure. How are how have those been offered to God? Follow-up questions at your table. How have you offered up those things to God? How have you, not like a sacrifice, but <laughs> um, like an family or something. Uh, but how have you offered them? I mean, how, how have those been used or reflected the radiance of God in your life? One minute, go ahead. All right, thank you so much. So the next gift I want us to consider is, and this is out of order, so I know it's out of order, for those that are gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what out of order. <coughs> myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming oil. It's a symbol of death, which is an interesting gift to give to a young child and their family. Okay. Right? Why do we think they did that? The idea of gold, frankincense, and myrrh is that It was a signal, a symbol for all to see of what was expected to be for this child in life. The way that Jesus was going to model and embody the commitment and love of God in everyone's life. Their treasure, the hope, and the death, which all resulted in joy for the whole world. But today, as we think about the myrrh, and its impact on our life, I invite you, not necessarily to share with everyone around you, I'm not saying you can't, but this is a question that is introspective, and I invite you to write it down on a slip of paper, there's pens and should be slips of paper, hopefully there's enough for everyone at the table, and the question is this, what do you need to let go of in your life today in order to follow Christ in the world? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to release your grip on, your focus on, in order to follow Christ in your life this day and this year? So you don't have to hand them in, but I am going to invite anyone that would want to to come in. I won't read them. I promise I'll burn them. Um, but symbolically, to release that, to come up and place it into the star basket that's on top of the mantle here. Stars are white hot and will burn away those things that we need to release. So, fold that puppy over and bring it up if you want. Though, so if it's just something that you want to hold on to as a reminder, you're also welcome to do that. You a, you you really hey, how are you? good, how are you? Alright, and finally, it's time for some frankincense. Frankincense is another incense. It is a symbol of godliness. All three of these things, it should be noted, were very expensive. Very expensive in the times of, uh, the Christ child. So frankincense is godliness, the symbol of godliness, that connection to God and the embodiment of God. So as we enter into the season of Epiphany and walk into this year together, I invite us to take up a new spiritual discipline, a very personal one just for you, but also a communal one. Where we know that those here today have all been gifted with your own little moment of epiphany and inspiration. A different way of looking for Christ in the light of Christ that has come into the world. You should find, find yellow stars in your boxes. You're invited to reach in and to take a star word that is your word, You might want to put it back and grab another one, but (laughs) it is your word for this year. It is a way of focusing and looking for the experience of God, the light of Christ in your life. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for engaging with me in a more interactive style message today. And that prayer for illumination has never been more important for the ways that through our shared conversations and shared thoughts, the word of God comes to life in brand new ways. So, as we, we're not leaving yet, but as we prepare, <laughs> I invite you to keep your starboard. i pin mine on my, on the I've mine on my, Lord in my office, so every day I look at my word as an invitation to me to come back and to recenter and to look at the world through a particular lens. And sometimes my words have been very challenging for me, and other times they've been easy. So my prayer for you, and then we'll pray together, is that your word invites you to experience the light of Christ in your life in new ways this year and invites you to pay attention to different aspects of how you interact with each other and with others in the world, and the ways that the Word of God interacts in your heart and in your mind each and every day. Let us pray.